This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 172. Today, I have a very special, exciting guest for you. Her name is Darcy Loma, and she's the owner and CEO of Darcy Loma Coaching and Consulting. She's the creator of Thoughtfully Fit, and she's the author of a book that came out last year called Thoughtfully Fit, Your Training Plan for Life and Business Success. She's a master certified coach. She's a facilitator, she's an inspirational and motivational speaker, and I'm super excited to have her on the podcast today to hear her story. Welcome so much, Darcy. I'm happy to have you here. Thanks so much, Julie. It's a pleasure to be with you. We're going to have a blast. I can just tell. I love your energy. (laughs) Thank you. I also um, love what you're putting out and that your passion in the world and your mission, it just so aligns with what my interests are. So it's really an honor to be here. I'm just really glad that we somehow met up. It's crazy, right? This world, it's such a, it's such a big world, but such a small world. So, so I'm excited. So why don't you just start out by telling me your story? Whatever you want it, wherever you want to start. Okay. Uh, I am a mom. First and foremost, I feel like that's what takes up um, the most of my energy and brings me the most joy. I have two daughters, Josie and Jaden. I spent about two decades in politics, working for um, government, for a U.S. senator, for some presidential campaigns. um, And When the senator that I was working for for 12 years announced that he was not going to be seeking re-election, I hired a coach um, to help me navigate my next steps because I just assumed I would stay in the political sector and my family, my friends, colleagues all assumed that. And she um, asked me a question that just changed the trajectory of my life. She said, Darcy, it was fascinating. Yeah. She said, if you made a decision right now and what you're going to do next, and in 10 years, you looked back and had no regrets, what would you do? Mm. And Julie, that was just like powerful. It was not scary. It was not hard. I said, I'd start my own business. I would, I would do keynote speaking and coaching and consulting. And so she helped me work through all that inner trash talk that that provoked (laughs) And deal with all of the uncertainties to uh, be able to launch my business. So my last day in the Senate was January 2nd, 2013. And January 3rd, I officially launched Darcy Loma Coaching and Consulting. Seriously. And I'm not yet at a year or, or 10 years. I'm almost there. And I can say I have no regrets. So the vision that you had in that moment is exactly what you have now. It's interesting. I don't know that how clear the vision was of what it would look like nine years later. I just knew that I wanted, so, so it's probably not what I had imagined it would have been. And it's exactly as amazing as I would had hoped it would be. I didn't know I had never been an entrepreneur or a small business owner. I had never, you know, um, stepped into my passion and creativity in this way. So I didn't really know what to expect. 
And where I am now has been a journey of continuing to a- continuing to ask myself that question that my coach asked me, um, what brings me the most joy and what decisions do I want to make where I will hopefully have no regrets? Isn't that fascinating? That is such a powerful question too, that it just basically changed your life. Because you, did you have an idea before she asked you that question? I'm a, I said she, I I'm not, a, I'm assuming, but it, it was a she, I mean, um, Julie, no, the, the, like I never thought that you wanted to do this. I had dreamt since I was in college that I would someday want to do this, but I never thought it would be, it was a dream. It was, it was a, it was a, like a far-fetched dream. Yeah. All of the conversations that I was having with my colleagues, my friends, my family was just around, okay, should I go work for the new next U.S. Senator? Should I go back on a presidential campaign? Should I go, right? It, it, I was, it was on this path. It, it didn't even dawn on me or occur to me that I could completely charter a new path and create a different future. Yeah. So what do you think it was that caused you to think that that would be cool? Like, I want to be a coach. What do you think it was in, in you? Like, what was the desire? So from early on, I talked about in college, like that was my dream. I worked for a leadership consulting firm Okay. and I got the bug and we, we, everything we did was around, he was certified the the owner around uh, the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey's work. Good book. And I loved loved helping people and watching and being in this room. That was back in the days, Julie, when my role was, do you remember the old, um, what, what's that machine called that? Um, oh my gosh. Uh, oh, I you, know what, like the overhead machine. Yes, the overhead projector. The only reason I knew, cause you, cause you made the motion. Yes. <laughs> Where you have the little transparencies and you would write on them. Yeah. I remember those. That was my job was to put the next transparency up for him. Right. But I was That's sitting there all day watching these, these people that were coming in and they were sort of arms crossed and, you know, not really engaged by the end, they were, uh, they had new awareness. They were exploring their communication style and their leadership style and being able to step into conflict in a different way. And I was like, I love this. So for the next 20 years, until I had the courage to start my own business, I was getting certified as a coach. I was, I I got my master's in organization development. I uh, got certified in organization and relationship systems coaching. So I was building my, I was just leaning into my passion. While you were doing the other job. Yep, exactly. Great. And so I knew I loved it. And I had a lot of people coming to me. Um, I was doing a lot of coaching without even knowing it or realizing it. So when I was doing my master's degree in 2004 and found out there's such a thing as becoming a professional coach, I was like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? What is that? Yeah. I was hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Because it put to, um, it gave me a title and identity around what I already knew my passion was. Because I would be sitting in these meetings for the senator and there'd be a room full of people and lobbyists and constituents. And and after 45 minutes, um, they'd be talking about some policy, you know, the Iraq war or Fallen Dafa or something. And they'd say, so Darcy, what does the senator think about that? And Julie, 
I would be caught off guard because in that time I was sitting there watching the dynamics. Like, I wonder why she's not speaking. And I wonder if we had done introductions first, if it would have created some more psychological safety and we would have more voices. And I wonder if we had designed some ground, right? So I you, was were trying, at that. you were trying to manage the group. <laughs> yes. And try to figure out how do we make the discussion better? How do we get all the voices heard? So they'd ask me and I'd be like, well, um, that's a great question. I'm not sure I, I could find out because I was so tuned in to the <laughs> dynamics. The people, uh, everything we do is around creating high performing people and teams. And it specifically looks at the, the soft skills and the people problems and how do you communicate and handle stress and deal with conflict? Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I know you have your the system that you um, created for your book, right? And I, it was, it's something about the six hurdles. I think I read, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, but I will. Um, so do you want to tell me about that? Or do you want to tell yeah. me the kind of the yes. precursors to that? Well, so essentially what happened, I started my business and I started coaching and I have coached hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of hours. And I started to notice that every client that would come in had similar problems. I'd say, what would you like coaching on today? They all had similar problems that were getting in the way of them achieving their goals and being successful. In the business. Well, in their lives, right? Different players, different people, different details, but they all had the same problems. So I spent five years researching what the issues and the problems and the hurdles are that clients struggle with that get in the way of them being successful. Okay. And we, after, uh, you know, five years of research and I'm doing this because we had all these, these flip charts all around with (laughs) post-its and we were categorizing the problems. We just came, our research brought us to the place that there are six common hurdles that get in the way, no matter what you're trying to achieve, there are six main people problems. So we designed thoughtfully fit as the model to be able to, train to overcome those hurdles because okay. I've been a lifelong athlete. Just like if you want to have perform better physically, you can train and practice and you will be better prepared and the race will feel easier. Right. Same way. If you want to handle yourself more thoughtfully in all these situations you need to prepare. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's cool. So Tell me about that, maybe with the perspective of um, small businesses, because a lot of the people that I talk to work in small businesses because veterinary hospitals are generally, you know, anywhere from a few employees to maybe 50 to 100 employees. Tell me your take on that. Like, how do those groups function and how can they function better? Yeah. So first of all, a shout out. To all those vets out there in your audience, my my daughters and I in COVID um, decided to be foster, uh, oh, foster yeah. parents, and so we had eight foster dogs, and we now we are fostering kittens and um, eight foster dogs. Yes, that's yes. fascinating. <laughs> so we have been going to lots of vets over the last couple mm-hmm. of years, yeah. and um, I tell you, small businesses vets deal with. Uh, so, so the some of the things that get in the way, um, being so overwhelmed, have so much to do. I can't even think Mm -hmm. right. Being able to create some stillness and quiet the mind and set boundaries and be able to say, no, that's, that's hard for small business owners. Yeah. 
Um, there's a, 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 a another one of the hurdles is getting stuck, and whether it is um, stuck with a relationship that's not working, stuck with some employees that you can't figure out. Oh, like they they're technically good, but they're not with good with people. You probably should fire them, but they're they serve a purpose. <laughs> yes, and if I fire them and it's the time of the great resignation, am I going to find somebody to replace them or am I going right. to have to work twice as hard? Yeah, maybe you'll get someone worse. And maybe you'll get someone exactly. Um, another of the hurdles is, you know, not always showing up the way I'd like. So you're stressed, and you just got out of a surgery, and it didn't go well. And the, you know, um, the the patient or the um, what do you call the the dog or the vet owner? The, the the pet is the patient, and the owner is the client. Thank you. That's the, the word which we use. Yeah, perfect. Thank That's you. That's what we use. The client <laughs> and the patient. <laughs> so if the surgery with the client does not go well and the patient is angry and upset, and then you need to go into the next appointment, how right. can you self-manage and choose to show up in a way that isn't bringing all that baggage and negativity into the next appointment? Yeah. That, right. Yeah. Those are hard. Mentally things. very hard. It's a very hard switch to make sometimes. Yeah. It's a hard switch to make. And then also as a small business owner, if it, you know, being able to handle yourself well, when you're blindsided and, you know, you get somebody who calls and they're angry because that person that you haven't fired, that you think you should fire, pissed somebody off. And now you got that, right. That, uh, that person calling you and they're like, I can't believe they, and, and then instead of pausing in the moment to think and to breathe and to respond thoughtfully you overreact and then you add fuel to the fire and you make it worse. And now you got to deal with the added challenge of not responding thoughtfully in the moment. And it takes, and all of those obstacles, those hurdles take you away from doing what you do best. Right. Right. So when you talk about the hurdles, are there specific strategies for each one or are the strategies kind of overlapping? Like you talked about boundaries, which is a big one for us because we have that, you know, soft heart where obviously you had a bunch of foster dogs. So you probably should have stopped at four and you ended up with eight. Exactly. <laughs> so the boundary line was probably pushed, but you know, is there, are there strategies that are different for each of these hurdles or are they similar? Yes, there are strategies that are different for each one. So I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but I find it fascinating. So Julie, we can go as deep as you want. All right. Well, (laughs) go ahead and explain it to me. Yeah. So with the thoughtfully fit model, there's um, basically there are six and I'll just put up the. the, Oh, good. You have a little thing. Cool. Yeah, I got a little thing. I love Um, it. So three of the obstacles are internal where we get in our own way. Mm. And then three of them are external where we have challenges in relationships with other people. And so if we look first at just the three that are internal and they're all based on the metaphor being physically fit, which I mentioned, you can train and practice and taking the stairs up five flights is easier than if you have not trained and practice in the same way. You can train and practice to set boundaries, to handle yourself thoughtfully, to be able to respond well when you're blindsided, right? Absolutely. Yep. So the first hurdle, um, stillness, there's so much to do. I can't even think. 
Second this one would is, be when you're facing overwhelm. This is when you're overwhelmed. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And you um, are oftentimes with people who have a lack of stillness and they are not able to quiet the mind. They are um, not able to set boundaries. Oftentimes, um, there are not good systems and processes in place, right? And so they're not working efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Oftentimes, we find that people who have a a lack of stillness are people pleasers, and they don't want to rock the boat. boat, And so they just say, oh, you know what, that person that we should fire, they aren't doing a good job, but I'll, I'll just stay late and do the extra work for them. And it creates this over well, gotcha. Okay. That of course then leads to everything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then strength is being able to consciously choose how you show up. And that is a heavy lift because, you know, not always handling yourself the way you'd like you, you, you walk in and the, the client is there, um, and they, they got there 20 minutes late and now they want you to you know, hurry up and, and you get, we get triggered. And so strength is being able to choose how you show up in any situation. Okay. And then that third internal one we talked about is endurance. That is being able to overcome obstacles to, to get unstuck. Now for, for each of these, there are specific strategies, okay. but there's also a, a core. And if, you look at the very center of the model, no matter what, no matter what obstacle you're having, what, where you're triggered, what your challenge is, it always comes back to these three simple steps, engaging your core. So just like if you're physically fit, you can't do 20 sit-ups once a month and have a strong core. You need to train and practice consistently. And if you do build a strong physical core, every movement's easier. Right. You're less likely to get injured in the same way with thoughtfully fit. It's these three steps. You pause, think, and then act. And that is while there's spe- in the, in the thoughtfully fit book, I go through strategies for all six of the specific hurdles, right? The core, it doesn't matter what hurdle it is. You can always go back to pause, kick yourself off of autopilot so that you can set yourself up for step two, which is to think. That's where you ask yourself some thoughtful questions. That's where you create some new awareness. And this whole model, Thoughtfully Fit, is about being able to handle yourself thoughtfully in any of these circumstances where you are um, feeling uh, like there's uh, uncertainty or conflict or change. It's exactly what I'm doing with my clients, and it's what you do with your coaching clients. You yeah, help it's all about awareness. Yeah, well, and just you know, we always talk about kind of understanding yourself well enough to know what you're feeling. So it makes sense if you pause. You can that would be a great place to to understand what's going on. Ask yourself some questions going into that thought process, and then until you get those two pieces figured out then you can take the proper action. So it it makes all kinds of sense for exactly what I talk about. So yeah, Yeah. that's a great way to think about it, the way you've modeled it. And hopefully then, because you took the time to pause and think and create that new awareness, then you can act more thoughtfully. Then if you skip those first two steps, because I had somebody recently say to me, oh my gosh, Darcy, I realized I do it backwards. I (laughs) act 
And then I think, oh, why did I do that? Yeah. And go back and clean up the mess from not handling themselves thoughtfully in the first place. Right. Right. So tell me how your um, background as a athlete, tell me a little bit about that and tell me how that pushed you into figuring this all out. I mean, it's a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So, Um, so tell me about your background as an athlete. Yeah. So in 1998, um, my best friend called me and she said, Darcy, I think we should do a triathlon on Sunday. (laughs) I was like, kidding me this Sunday? No, I'm not going to do triathlon. She's like, we do marathons all the time and 10 K's and, you know, and we, you know, you own a bike. We love to go mountain biking and you know how to swim. We do master swim. Why wouldn't we do all three together? So I naively said, yes. (laughs) And show up, uh, five days later at 5 30 AM. Um, my first red flag, Julie should have been the name of the race was the devil's challenge. <laughs> and so that should have so kept you in right there, huh? It should have keyed me in. And oh. I'm looking around trying to figure out like, where do you change out of your swimsuit after you get done with the, you know, in the lake. And I come to find out that like, you don't, it's all out in the field. There's no changing rooms. You actually, you know, do all three in the same outfit. Yeah. And, you know, so then I go down to the, the, the starting line and the gun goes off and like 50 women in my wave, we all go running in and I'm getting kicked and hit and the water's churning. And I couldn't figure out where the buoys were to see where to go. The bike was hilly. I was miserable. I had to walk the hills on the bike. The 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 run. I I mean, the only reason I didn't take the SAG vehicle back to the start, the the only reason I finished is because there was a lot of people out there cheering, and my pride, my ego. I was like, I'm gonna finish. (laughs) I did not want to let them down. So when I but when I was done, I thought it was miserable. It was hard. It was so hard. But there was something about the energy in the air and about having all these people who chose to sign up to do this event, to be healthy, regardless of what your age or size or fitness level was. And so I decided and committed, I'm like, I want to do this again and I want it to be less hard. I want it to be more fun. So I hired a triathlon coach. I joined a master swim team. I went and and, um, joined a club in the summer to do open water swimming. I bought a new wetsuit and a triathlon bike. And I started to train and practice. And I, and then, and then, I mean, I just had, I did the same race this fall, the devil's challenge 23 years later, I actually was faster than I was when I was 28. (laughs) That's great. And it was fun. Yeah. The same principles apply when you are looking at how you show up in your life and in your relationships and the problems and the struggles and the hurdles that get in the way that you can train and practice to be able to make your life easier, just like you can train and practice to make the, that race, that event easier. Yeah. That's where I had this aha. When my clients would come in and say, Oh, Darcy. Oh, I've got this relationship that isn't working. That's a core, one of the core six hurdles relationships aren't working that you can train and practice to not over function in the relationship. 
you can train and practice to have the courage to state your truth and what you want and need instead of always acquiescing and saying, oh, it's not a big deal. I'll just do it. And I think probably for a lot of your viewers and a lot of your clients who own small businesses and are vets, they're overwhelmed because there's so much to do. There isn't time to train and practice. And that's the hard thing. And that's where you realize it's a little bit of like, if you can pause and think before you act, yeah, it takes a little bit of extra time, but the results are going to be better. So you can get back to doing what you do best instead of having to clean up the mess in the first place. Right. So that, that is something really interesting for me to think about because I, when I'm working with my clients, I always talk about this is work, like, like working on yourself is work, right? And that's kind of what you're saying is if you're getting ready for a triathlon, there's work involved and it's not something that you can just snap your fingers and fix. It's something that you have to every day show up for, right? You have to train, you have to, you know, whatever you have to do for whatever event you're training for, it's very similar with your life. So if you're having a challenge in your veterinary hospital, you're having a challenge with, you know, whatever mentally or physically, there's work involved in fixing it. It's not just quitting. Like I I hear vets all the time say, well, maybe if I just got another job and it's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. You went into this for a reason. You loved it for a reason. So let's do the work to get you back to the place where you love it. So is that kind of what you're what you're saying? It is. And the good news is the more you train, the easier it gets. If you only do 20 sit-ups once a month, it's going to be hard and you're going to get sore and it's going to be painful. Every time, right? You do. If you're consistent, you every time I stop exercising and then start back up again, it's like, oh, damn, why did I stop? (laughs) That's right. And yet if you're consistent and you keep training, it gets easier all of a sudden, right? If you jog a minute and then walk two and jog a minute and walk two and the next day you jog 90 seconds and the next day you jog two minutes it's going to get easier. All of a sudden, you're going to be able to jog a full 5K without walking and you're not right. going to be sore and miserable. Right. It's the same way working on yourself. Yeah. And to your point, you know whether or not they should leave and quit and shut down the veterinarian business and move on, you know who knows? But I'll tell you what your point is, Julia, well taken that if you don't address the core issues that are making you feel miserable, they're going to follow you. The universe will keep providing the same lessons for you to learn until you learn it. Yep. Yep. I see that all the time. People think if they just go to another practice, if they just had a different boss, if they just have a different spouse or whatever it is, and, or your kids, you could change your kids. Right. And that's another one of the, uh, uh, (laughs) that's another one of the, um, the hurdles is if I'd be fine, if only someone else were different, Um, that's right. Like, okay. If my kids would change, if only the receptionists would be different, if only this client, only the clients were nicer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the reality is we can't change other people. And so the energy we expend being angry or frustrated that they aren't the way we think they should be, or worse, trying to get them to change to be the way that we think they should be is energy and, and attention that is distracted from focusing on what you actually can do something about what you do control, which is how you respond to those frustrating people that are making you go crazy. Yeah. 
Well, and I think just that sentence making me crazy. It's mm-hmm. not really them. It's you, what you're thinking about them. I always say. Mm-hmm. So what, so what would your advice be? Let's just say, you know, we have vets out there that are like the clients are driving us crazy. Cause that's a, that's a common complaint. You know, they're demanding, they, they want everything for nothing. They want it right now. They don't want to wait. Like all of those problems that we face with clients that drive us crazy. Like what would be your most, um, I guess your first piece of advice to start down that road of, of getting to a different place and thinking about that? Yeah. So if we simplify it and have it, just look at it through the lens of the core. Yeah. First thing to do is to pause. And it sounds like a lot of your clients are pausing. They've hired you and they're working with you and that is creating a natural pause, right? So then to be able to think and to reflect on, okay, what are the themes and the patterns? Because if it's a one-off outlier problem, you know, deal with that. But when you can think about what are the things that are happening, recurring over and over again, what are those struggles, those complaints, those frustrations, and then be able that, that step three, to be able to act, to address what those patterns are. So for instance, if you notice that um, there's something frustrating about the timing and when people show up and that they aren't ready, when the, when you, the vet are ready, they're not, and, and it's inefficient looking at what are the systems and processes that we have in place. Maybe we need to be able, maybe we need to call and um, send a reminder and say, hey, when you get here, want to make sure you get here 10 minutes early to fill out the paper, whatever it might be. Whatever the bottleneck is. is. What's creating that bottleneck? Mm -hmm. So, or maybe the, you you realize that part of the um, problem and the theme, the pattern that you notice is that you have employees who aren't doing what they're told and the 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 what everything has in common is you and you realize like you are not giving that feedback to tell them to what what's not working because you don't like conflict and so instead you're just putting up with it and now it's creating this ripple effect of of bigger problems than just you not giving that that feedback in a way that it can be received So that's where I always think, look at what are the patterns? What are the themes? What is it that keeps showing up over and over again and try to get to the core to address that at the core root level? Yeah. So that kind of brings me to a question about conflict because a lot of us as veterinarians, I always say I love conflict and I kind of do mostly from this. The reason I love it is I like the problem solving part of it. And I like to kind of like work it out and then try to get to some sort of resolution. So when I say I like conflict, it's not that I, I mean, I kind of do like the fighting, but, (laughs) but I like, I like more of the trying to figure it out and then, you know, come up with a solution. So if somebody is very conflict averse, And they're very, I don't don't know what the right word is, but it's very hard for them to face those kind of situations internally, because it sounds like that's part of of what you work on. What advice would you give those people to try to work towards making that, like what muscle can you exercise Mm -hmm. to get that to be easier facing those conflicts? 
Yep. So a, a couple of things I'll say, and this falls under the practice of balance in the okay. thoughtfully fit model. How do you balance what you want and need with what I want and need? And when our relationships are out of balance, it's what creates conflict. In okay. particular, if it if it if you fall on the end of the spectrum of avoiding or being uncomfortable with conflict, you, Julie, are are on this end of the spectrum. Like you're okay with it. You lean in. It wasn't into always it. that way though. Like I, I learned it. I was very timid in high school. But somehow along the way, it was it was something I developed. So I wasn't always this way. <laughs> that's awesome. And you can, and that's you are a role model and a source of inspiration for people who don't like conflict because you can develop it. Yeah. So on that. And, and and one of the things, you know, that there's there's the mindset shift and then there's the skills. Right. So the mindset shift could be for some people who avoid conflict is that conflict is bad. It's negative. Mm-hmm. The shift is conflict is an indication of something trying to happen. And so if you can shift into curiosity, like, huh, what's not working? What's trying to happen that is creating this conflict? That then can get you more in the mindset of leaning into the conflict like you do, Julie, than right. being fearful and, and shying away from it. Right. Then to have the skills, one of the things that we teach in the book, when you talk about other strategies, yeah, the book is filled with strategies. There's the three C's. So have courage, compassion, and curiosity. So first of all, you need to have the courage to state what you want and need. Right. If you are looking at that relationship that's out of balance that has conflict, um, so Julie, I've got to tell you, this is what's hard for me, and this is what I need in the relationship. This is what I'd like to redesign. You have to state your needs with courage in a way that it can be heard and received. So that's where the compassion comes in. Right. If I come in and say, Julie, this isn't working for me, ninety-six percent of the time, how you start a conversation is how it ends. So if sure. I come in with a harsh startup, it's going to end harshly. Right. So that's the compassion piece. And then the curiosity is, how do you see it? What's hard about this for you? What do you want and need? So that if you are feeling like, oh, conflict is hard, if you can lean into the three C's. A lot of times for people, conflict is hard. They are not good at the courage. They're good right. at compassion and curiosity, but the courage is hard. For right. other people who are on the end of the spectrum that where maybe their conflict is is not only easy, they kind of are maybe not where you, you've developed it, but they have either they grew up and they have a, a much more direct approach and kind of can come across harshly and like a bully. Mm-hmm. Chances are they've got strong courage. They need to turn the volume maybe up on the compassion and maybe also on the curiosity. And turn the courage down a little. Well, that's what's interesting is when um, when you look at the three C's, I want you to think about it like a like a DJ mixing board. So instead of a volume or a dimmer switch where you're turning it up and turning it down, these you can actually keep your courage high and turn up the volume on compassion. Temperate. So you don't so because sometimes people will say, well, if I don't, you know, if I don't be that direct, then I'm not going to get what I need. It's like you can be that direct. You can get what you need. If you turn up the volume on compassion so that you're delivering that message in a way it can be heard, you don't need to water down what you need or what you want. You don't need to water down your courage. You need to turn up the volume on the compassion and then likely also on the curiosity, which is 
you know, so I just gave you some really tough feedback and delivered a, a really courageous direct message. How do you see it? How are you feeling right now? What do you think is the best way forward? What are you frustrated with? So then it becomes a dialogue instead of a monologue. Right. And I would add to that curiosity piece is knowing if you're in a leadership position, knowing your team, so you know who needs which approach, you know, like if you get really good at reading people, you can tell the people that need a more direct approach in conflict and the people that need a a softer approach. And if you can, and that's, to me, that's what you're talking about. Curiosity is figuring out what that person needs, even if it's just intuitively. So if you come on too strong and you feel them, you know, pulling back that you can pull yourself down a a notch. Yes. And especially in, in veterinary offices that are small and oftentimes probably have a small intimate team, you can't can't hide and disappear like you can in a big, huge meta right company. Right. So instead of trying to just figure it out, you, you can design your alliance with those employees. You can ask them, how do you like to receive feedback? Mm-hmm. Do you want it direct or do you like a little sugar on top? <laughs> how do you best feel appreciated? Right. Asking them. Um, and if they're like, I don't know, I've never thought about it. You can, you can get curious and say, well, is it, you know, would you like a little gift card to, to go get coffee? Is it, you know, quality time? Can I, do you want to have lunch together? Is it, um, you want me to put uh, something in the newsletter to all of our clients saying how great you are? Like, what is it? And you can design an alliance with each of those employees so that, yeah, you, and that's going to increase the chances that they will stay because you will be communicating in a way that works for them instead of having one style across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. So are, are those the kind of things that you work with, with the, cause you coach executives too. Yeah. And so is that the kind of stuff that you coach them on or is there something unique about people that are in a more executive position. Because we have, you know, we have layers in our veterinary hospitals. We have like our animal assistants and our technicians and our associate veterinarians and then our owners. And then there's corporate practices where there's layers and layers of corporate people. And I think sometimes um, small businesses that get taken over by corporations, they struggle with that transition from, you know, the tiers. So is it different? The, the, the one thing that is that I see is really different once you get up, the higher you get up um, in leadership and executive, the less vulnerable you can be and the, the fewer places you have to get support. Um, so you start and you're an intern or it's your first job. You can be like, um, Julie, I don't know how to answer this question or what is the, how do I do this? You you ask a ton of questions because you're learning and people expect that. Right. Once you get up to those higher levels, there is an expectation that you're the leader and that you know things. And the so the ability to be vulnerable and to have a support system is a lot harder. Um, and also the oftentimes the the challenges are higher stakes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that for sure happens to new veterinarians. You know, they go from being a student and having all the handholding 
And then one day you graduate and, and now you're in a hospital setting and you're the boss now. Like you're telling everybody what to do and you're telling the clients what to do and you're making the recommendations. That's a really intimidating place for people to be. Like what advice would you give those people similar to the courage and. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the, the person who is transitioning in a role like, like that, or maybe you are a veterinary uh, veterinarian that has been working for a company and the owners retire and you buy the business and now you're right now you're the boss and you, yeah. Anytime you're going through and navigating a change like that, one of the tips, one of the strategies, there's so many different directions we could take this conversation right now. <laughs> I know we're going to be here for eight hours, but I love right. it. <laughs> exactly. One of the well, things you well, can I do, do multiples. Is, exactly. I, and I'd be happy to, I, I love this conversation. Um, yeah, for sure. You can create a playbook, right? And so letting people know, like, here's how here's what I know about my style. Here's how I communicate. Here's how um, I like to, personally, how I like to receive feedback. Um, Here's what some of my quirks are. Here's what some of my weaknesses are. If you can design that up front and let people know. So for instance, when I was working for the Senator, I did not do this early on. I learned these skills. I was, I was going through my leadership training and my coach training And so I sat down, uh, oh God, this was a couple of years in and said, hey, I want to design our alliance and how on our our, uh, atmosphere and our culture here and what helps each of us to flourish and to thrive. And one of the things that I shared is that I have a bad memory. And so I have put into place a lot of systems to help me knowing I have a bad memory. So for instance, I will oftentimes after a meeting, I'll take notes and I'll do a quick recap. And then sometimes I'll send an email summary to make sure that we're on the same page. And that later when I think, God, what did we say we were going to do? I can go back and search and see it. Um, And so in that moment, my team, Julie, when it was a small office, I mean, there were only five employees, I could see they're looking around and, and I'm like, what's happening? They're like, we thought you just didn't trust us. We thought, like, why why is Darcy sending an email when she could just walk three doors down and say, hey, do you got a minute? I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that was a blind spot for me. I had no idea that that was the impact, right? Because I had never designed that. So if you are a new veterinarian and you go from being in that place where you're asking lots of questions, one of the things you can design is say, hey, I'm really excited. I've been going to school. I've spent thousands of hours learning and getting these degrees and I'm new. So I'm going to lean in to curiosity and I might, I might have a little bit of a moment where I say, gosh, I'm going to talk through this because I'm not sure exactly which direction to go on this surgery. I want, I want you at that point to ask me some questions and to mirror back what I'm saying so that because, right, you can design that with well, your that's team. Okay. I think I think a lot of times veterinarians think, well, everyone thinks that when they're in a position that they should know, you know, they put me in this position, I should know everything. It was like when I was the president of the, of the Michigan VMA, they, they made, like, they put me in this executive committee. I had never been a, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, you know, and it makes you feel that imposter syndrome, Right. That you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. So I think just knowing that everybody starts there and that it's all okay. You know, I I tell my young vets, it's like, look, you're not supposed to know everything. You're supposed to go into that practice and ask for help 
and the techs know a lot of things that you probably don't know. Trust them, trust the other doctors, call, you know, phone a friend, whatever you have to do. There's so many resources and it doesn't mean that you're not a good vet. You know, I think that's the the story we get in our heads that if we don't know everything, we're not good. You know, it's like me interviewing you at, in my head. I'm like, well, I'm not very good at interviewing because I don't know how to do it. But it's kind of like, no, you just do it until you get better at it. Right. So I think that is such a, a, big, a big story that we have that we need to to change. It is. And, you know, the alternative doesn't look good because if you go in with this, you know, bravado and false and like, uh, well, this is what we're going to do. Cause you don't want to look vulnerable. You don't want to look weak. Mm-hmm. That creates more problems. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people, well, they make more mistakes, number one, and also people see it eventually, you know, they know that you're not, that you don't know everything. So I always tell people, if you can confidently say, I don't know, yeah, I'm going to find out, or I don't know, but I know who to ask that that's a really big skill. It is a big skill. And we're talking about um, veterinarians who have a small team and the number one dysfunction of teams is a lack of trust. Mm. The antidote and how you build trust or one of the antidotes, one of the ways to build trust is invulnerability. And so to, to look at it, to reframe it instead of like, well, they need to trust me and I have to show them I have all the answers and I know instead it can build trust to say, you know what? That's a really good question. I don't really know how to answer that. I'd like to think about it. Or I'd like to talk with you and see if we can find the best answer on how to handle that, uh, that client question, because I'm not sure either. That can create more respect and more trust than you saying, well, you need to tell them and go and, and you're just making it up because you're nervous. Right. And it's not good advice. And then that person feels exposed and they, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because that is something that I I hear a lot of is that they call it imposter syndrome, but I think it's just the thought that I should be different or I should know more than I know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you see. Yeah. So what else, what other big things do we need to offer? I mean, I, you know, all the stuff about what you're teaching, but yeah, I mean, the only other thing I guess I'll say, talking about conflict, is um, when we work, an organization reaches out and because there's conflict, generally speaking, it's at one of two times. It's either at the beginning where it's like, oh, gosh, there's some conflict and there's some dysfunctions on our team. And we really want to tackle this and figure out how to build trust, how to design an alliance, how to have a strong foundation. Or they don't do it then and they wait and they come to us a couple of years later when they haven't addressed it. They've avoided the conflict because it's too hard. It's too icky. It's too uncomfortable. And then we're just going to hope it gets better. Right. Then they come to us five years later where now it's not just dysfunctional. Now it's full-blown toxins. Yeah. And then it's, then it's even harder to deal with. So I would say to those um, clients of yours who are watching, if you are noticing that there is conflict, it is in your best interest to get curious, to name it, to address it. Because if you 
don't trust me. We see what happens over the long term. And when it's not addressed, there's four toxins that show up conflict, or excuse me, blaming. So blaming and criticism, that's the first. That toxin then creates the second, which is defensiveness. Once you have blaming and criticism and defensiveness, and it's like, why didn't you get this report done? Why didn't you call him? I didn't call him because I didn't get the, you know, sign off from you, right? Once you have that, the next toxin is contempt. Hmm. Contempt is poisonous because it goes from um, being upset about the behavior to an attack on the person, right? You're an idiot. Personal. Yeah. It's personal. Mm -hmm. And then that means not far behind is the fourth toxin, which is stonewalling. And stonewalling is when you are emotionally flooded and you shut down. So this is a cautionary tale to those who are watching and listening to say, if you're sensing that there is conflict and it's uncomfortable, lean into it, get curious, get some coaching, get do a team retreat so that it doesn't get to the place where it is full blown toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we hear a lot about that in practices where things just kind of get out from under the leader So what about the people that don't have that leadership power? Let's say you have an owner that's letting all this stuff happen. And then you're the, you're working for this owner. Is there a way to address that? I mean, I, I kind of think there is, but I want to hear what you say. Yeah. If you're in a toxic practice or a toxic mm -hmm. situation with a, with a leader, that may be causing some of this, I guess, like, what would you do as the subordinate? So I would, I would, what I would, one thing I would not do is address it in the moment when emotions are high and tense and it's tense. Right. right. So um, I would wait till it's a moment where things are calmed down. So and pause. oftentimes pause <laughs> what happens when things are, when you're not in the height of it, then it's like, Oh, Oh, thank God. Okay. Everything's fine. I don't want to, I don't want to poke the bear. I'm not going to say anything. Right. No, that is the time to address it, to have that conversation when things are calm, not when you're in the storm. Right. So when you're in the conflict, in the storm and the toxins, all that blood that goes, that is in your brain normally to be able to be thoughtful and curious goes to your extremities, that fight or flight, flight. right? Yeah. Lose mm-hmm. the ability to be creative. Yeah. So, and then I'd say, um, That's the time to, depending on the situation, and I'm giving a general answer because of time, but that's the time to lean in and to reach out to that owner and say, hey, I'm wondering if we can have a conversation. I've just noticed some things um, and I wanted to get your opinion and I wanted to share it. And that's where you can lean into the three C's, right? The courage. I wanted to share some things that I'm feeling frustrated about, but I'd like to, I'd like to hear your thoughts. And so you're delivering that courageous message with compassion. It isn't like, hey, this is ridiculous. There's toxic. Your your practice is toxic. (laughs) Yeah. You don't say that. (laughs) No, don't say that. (laughs) Right. So that soft startup, that compassion, the courage to say what you want to say, and then the curiosity, how do you see it? What do you think the issues are? Now, if you have a leader that is interested in creating a culture that is positive and you use that approach, you're going to open the door for dialogue and for there to be some shifts. Right. That is assuming that they have an interest in creating a healthy, positive culture. Right. That 
may not be the, that may not be the case. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes, yeah, a leader of a practice just isn't, isn't open to that, which, you know, then that's a whole different coaching session, right? (laughs) It is. That's a different session. And that might be where you need to create some boundaries. Right. And have some tough conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, we're kind of, I don't know how long we've been going, but it seems like a long time. So I don't want to keep you too long, but I love all the stuff you're telling me and I would love to hear more. So um, I hope you'll come back one day to do this again. I would be honored to come back. I am loving this. this. And then I'll, I'll actually read the book before we talk again. And then I'll have a whole new list of questions. I'm sure. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. And so for people who are watching that are curious and want to dig in, I mean, you can always fit. You can always buy the book. Tell me where they can find you. The other thing that they can do, if, if you're curious, like, what are these six hurdles and what gets in the way? If you go to thoughtfullyfit.com, there's a free quiz. And if you take the quiz, it's about two minutes, take the quiz. It'll tell you which of those six hurdles are your biggest. And it'll give you a strategies to start to train, to overcome and to clear that hurdle. So you talked about what are these strategies? We talked about a couple of them today. Yeah. We need to go. It'll tell you, but we will. Yeah. Okay. So that's the website. And that's the quiz. Yeah, thoughtfullyfit.com. And then if somebody wants to learn more about uh, my practice or watch some of our Thoughtfully Fit Thursday videos or read the blog, darcyloma.com is uh, the website that has all sorts of free resources and um, blog and also talks about the, the speaking training and consulting that we do. Awesome. Is there anything else that we didn't say that you want to say? I, I just think it's awesome that you are investing in this way in your community and helping other veterinarians be successful. I think it's fantastic. Well, I am honored and privileged that you came on the podcast and, um, I hope that we can get together again. We can outline another, another little, um, session and we'll go through this in more detail because all of this stuff is exactly what veterinarians need to help them right now. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Darcy. And thank you everyone for listening and um, go out there and have a beautiful week. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Darcy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.